Hello and welcome to Basically with me, Stephanie Preisner. Today's episode is something a little bit different. Um, usually I put a call out on Instagram and you guys tell me what you want to hear. But this time I didn't do that because this is something that I am fascinated by. Today I am talking to David Fanagan from Fanagan's Funeral Directors. I am maybe morbidly obsessed with death and the business of dying. Um, I think that at some point we're all going to have to deal with either organising or being part of a funeral. And very often that time will be the first time we realise the actual work that goes into it. So I wanted to speak to a funeral director before I have to speak to a funeral director about the ins and outs of organising a funeral. Undertaker, funeral director, funeral home. Like, what do you call yourself? Actually, the funeral home. There were undertakers in Ireland for years. My family, my great great-great-grandfather started in 1819 in Dublin. That's 200 years ago last year. 200 years in the funeral business. God, people have been dying for ages. They've never stopped. <laughs> and people who've never died before. The uh, Willie, uh, Val O'Connor, recently deceased, O'Connor Brothers Cork, um, went to the States back in the early 60s, saw this funeral home concept, brought it back. Actually, a funeral home is a private room of repose. People living in maybe one, two up, two down, an apartment, whatever, and they died at home. And there isn't really an appropriate room to lay the person out in. So the funeral director offered a facility, a private viewing room. The funeral home in the States is very much families literally move in for three or four days and use it as a place of entertainment. Funeral homes in Ireland are very much private rooms, private chapels of repose, where a person is brought to be embalmed, which is having the body preserved and presented to a family to view. And that's a very Irish thing, not an English thing at all. Very much an Irish. We do funerals really well in Ireland. We give people a chance to say goodbye with dignity. That's what embalming is all about. I'm not an embalmer, far too squeamish. Embalming is preserving the body. The funeral home is a place to put it. But what has happened in recent years with the advent of embalming, I think, is the wish to bring a person home. Yeah. Many, many years ago, before you and I and those before us were born, people died at home and they were waked at home. And now that trend has returned. So with central heating, with the aga cooker, it doesn't matter. If a body's embalmed, it can be brought home. And that person can be brought from home to the church or to the crematorium or whatever it is the family wishes are. So funeral director... I think it more aptly describes um, a person in charge. He's director of operations. He's director of this, director. They seem to know what they're doing. And that's very much the case with the funeral director. A funeral in Ireland or anywhere is actually all about three or four day event management. And there are two prongs to the folk. One is the care of the body. The other is the care of the family. The care of the body is straightforward enough. Embalm, preserve, dress, present, place in a coffin. The family selected. The care of the family, what they need by way of organisation for themselves for the next three days. Transportation, the newspaper notice. The, so that's, the w- that's what I wanted to, to get into with you today. So like I, let's imagine for a second that I am faced with that dreaded call or that dreaded moment where I walk in and I find someone that I love 
dead. What do I need to... I don't want to know. I don't want to have to find out how to deal with that situation when I'm actually in that situation. Okay, there are two scenarios in you've, the way you've just described it, and I think that's a, your question without knowing it is a good one. Okay. To find somebody dead or somebody is dying and then they pass away. When you if to find somebody dead for an unexplained reason, I'm not talking about murder, I'm just talking about they had a heart attack. Um, obviously, if the person hadn't been attending a doctor, the, the Gardaí need to be notified, an ambulance too late for that, the person's dead, the Gardaí need to be notified, the coroner becomes involved, the coroner instructs um, the local person involved, the local funeral director, to remove the body to a hospital, a mortuary facility, where a post-mortem examination is carried out. Every person that dies in this country, the death must be certified. So an unexpected death, the coroner, the guardy get involved. An expected death, somebody belonging to you, a loved one, a parent, grandparent, aunt, sibling, is dying, terminal illness, and they pass away. Now you've got to arrange a funeral. Two things are happening in Ireland now. Parents are now, parents in their 40s, 50s, 60s, I'd say, not so much 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s, realise that they don't want to be a burden to their children. There are school fees, there are mortgages, there are all sorts of things these people have to cope with. So we really don't want to lumber them with having to make funeral arrangements. So people are now discussing their own funeral arrangements with their partner, if they have one, or if they're single or widowed, with their chosen funeral director. So when the time comes and the person has died, and the family contacts somebody like myself, and I want to make funeral arrangements for my uh, father. His name was John Smith. Ah, I tell you, your dad was actually contacted us two years ago. Here's what he planned. And then they said, God, I remember he said that at the table a year ago. Um, we were having Sunday dinner. Um, my mother passed away many years ago. And Dad said, I want exactly the same for me. I want to be buried in the same grave, grave as your mother. And uh, pass the gravy. Does that make it much easier? For oh, that without doubt. Because you have a situation in every Irish family. Uh, there are two occasions when something happens. A wedding and a funeral. And that something is a row. Right, a okay. difference of opinion. opinion. So daughter wants mum to be cremated. Uh, son wants mum to be buried. And the field director can say, actually, your mother made contact with us some time ago. She knew she was ill and you knew that too because she died in the hospice in Harold's Cross. Um, she actually wanted to be cremated. Now, there's no more row between the brother and the sister. They're not going to go against their mother's wishes. Whatever she wanted is what's going to happen. And what if they haven't had that discussion with you? Then it's a question of, listen, what do you, it's a question of, you become a little bit of a broker, um, uh, a mediator, and say to son uh, uh, John, daughter Mary, listen, what do you think your mother would have wanted? Your father died some years ago. And are you asking, like, do you, did she want to be buried slash cremated? Or are you asking for, like, the type of wood of a coffin? No, you're, the first, the very first question that must be asked at the time of making a funeral arrangements with the family, are we talking about burial or cremation? Because that Does religion come into it? Or are we just assuming Catholic? Ah, no, no, definitely not assuming Catholic. Not with the right. number, not, not in, in recent times. The Catholic Church lost its influence hugely in Ireland in the last two to three decades. Okay, so sometimes funerals. So would you try to establish, first of all, are we having a Catholic or a humanist? Okay, no. first of all. The is very first thing is, are we talking about burial or cremation? And the reason for that question is, if it's burial, it's straightforward enough in that a doctor will have said, yes, we're satisfied as the cause of death and we will, in, we will sign the medical certificate. If it's cremation, a doctor must have seen the person before they died 
and after they died and complete a three-page form explaining, answering all the questions because once a body is cremated, it can't be. you can't exhume yes. and check there are strangulation marks around the neck. So it's, it's very important. So that's the first question that a funeral director will ask of a family after expressing their sympathies with the family or personal condolences if they know them personally. Is it burial or cremation? And then you go from there. What would you like to happen? Well, we'd like to bring dad home. Fine. We're going to have to remove his body from the hospital mortuary back to our preparation room where we're going to preserve his body. What do you mean by preserve his body, Mr. Fanagan? We're going to embalm him, which means we're going to ensure that there's no unpleasant odour, there's no unpleasant leakages, there's no unpleasantness for you, the family. You could say goodbye to your father with dignity, you can bring him home and you don't have to turn off the central heating in the house. Then you go through the list, it's more or less a checklist then of the other requirements, the, the ch- how the person's going to be dressed, their own clothing, casual. So do they, so, so you go, to, do you go to the hospital then and take the body from the mortuary Back to Fanagans. The, the initial, the initial um, part of the event planning is sitting down with the family and that's usually done face to face more than often than not in their own home because people are comfortable in their own home. If they say, no, well, listen, there's kids at home or we've two dogs in the house and they're a bit antsy, uh, can, can we call down to your office? Fine. So it's to discuss what they want to happen. Then having got permission to remove the deceased we, uh, my, my colleagues, we've a team of men who are, are drivers who attend to the private removal from, with dignity, from the hospital mortuary to our preparation room, where our embalming team then take over. Does that happen in hearse? It would, we would in the case, we would use private ambulance, just okay. an unmarked vehicle, uh, darkened windows, stretcher, cover, uh, just done with dignity. A hearse is exposed glass on both sides. Okay. So though underneath the hearse, you have a, a, a bearer section where a deck underneath, which can be used if an ambulance, if the ambulance was busy, so that, that you could, a stretcher under, would go underneath the deck of a hearse. So you but bring them back to... Our preparation your, room. And then does someone from the family have to bring the clothes... If I'm with the family, if I'm, if I get the phone call from the family to say, listen, I'm going to be with you at three o'clock this afternoon and I go through everything with you. We'll have contacted the church. We, we know where, where, what cemetery we're going to. Um, would you have the clothing that you want dad dressed in ready for me? And after, when I'm finished going through all the arrangements with you, I'll take the clothing with me and his dentures, very important, uh, from the house back to our preparation room and we'll have him back here at lunchtime tomorrow which is what you want and you can wake him overnight and then we go to church the following morning. Okay. And so then the body comes back. You don't embalm. That's not I your... personally am not an embalmer. My, I am a funeral arranger as such okay. and I attend and conduct funerals uh, with, with fa- bereaved families. My colleagues, three ladies as it turns out, we are current team of embalmers, three are all ladies and that's actually believe it or not a comfort to a lot of people um, not, not everybody knows that not everybody asks the question but now and again they say listen uh, who's going to embalm my aunt uh, my aunt was a single lady who's going to be embalming her a little fussy maybe that she might be embalmed by a man who's going to see her naked and whatever saw her naked in life people can be funny at these times people can be sensitive so we have found in recent years that indicating that our team of embalmers professionally qualified are women is a comfort to people. Okay. So the body is embalmed, preserved, and dressed, placed is it in the... difficult to... Now, my entire reality is based on CSI, so please excuse me, but is is dressing a dead body who's probably 
rigor and stiff. Is that difficult? Rigor mortis is a thing that comes and goes. It, it, okay. It, but the embalming process, and I'm not an embalmer, but it's quite straightforward. Looking at you and I at each other now, we have a complexion and that's because oxygen is getting to our blood. And if I'm 12 stone and a half in weight, I have about 12 and a half pints of blood in my body. What happens when I die is no oxygen gets to my blood, so my blood discovers, di- discolors mm-hmm. uh, from, from red to blue to, blue to Black. Okay. What embalming does is pushes the you, you basically use the carotid arteries. You push the blood supply out of the arterial system, and you replace it with a uh, preservative fluid called formaldehyde, which has a slight pink tint. Okay. So it gives you a little warm, a little not unpleasant appearance. The person might look like as if they're asleep. Now they're dead but it just looks a lot more peaceful than somebody being black and blue. I think people always say that they look like they're asleep, but I think you know. If you knew the person when they were alive, they don't look like they're asleep. Well, it's, it's, yes, but I, it looks better than if they it, were black. It reminds me of the story, lovely Dublin family, uh, many a number of years ago, and the, the, the old man died down in Spain. He was away on holidays, um, uh, came back, died. He was only back 24 hours when he died. Removed his body back to our funeral uh, preparation room. He was embalmed, dressed, placed in the coffin. The locals came in, looked at him. Ah, would you look at the station? That holiday did him the world of good. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah, nice so you have to laugh. There is, there is a funny side to what we do. We're not all stiff upper lip. It's, uh, excuse the stiff remark. So embalming, no, it's not, not difficulty. The successful embalming, the sooner that we uh, can um, remove the deceased from the place of death to our premises, the better. The sooner we can... Because after a period of days, uh, a person will begin to deteriorate and will begin to decompose. So the sooner we can remove a body from the place of death to our preparation room, the better. Outcome will be. So you, so then the embalming happens and they get dressed again or they're put... They're dressed in the clothing the family gave us or very seldom now a Roman ca- habit. Okay. Or some people, you know, they, they put the suit by, the, especially they had it at the daughter's wedding or the granny said, that's that's what I wore it at my daughter's, uh, granddaughter's wedding two years ago. That's how I want to be laid out. And that's how she'll be laid out. And then, um, who picks the coffin or the casket? Family, when I'm sitting down, or somebody like me, sitting down with the family, going through everything, they literally, there's, the, the, the coffin isn't the first thing I discuss, funny enough. It's actually the last thing I discuss. Yeah. You're just getting an image, the whole, um, not so much mood, but this discussion is about an event that's going to take place over the next three days and it involves your father who has died and how he's going to be dressed and what transportation is required. We'll go through the wording for the notice. We'll go through the flowers. we talk about the, the readings, though you can do that with the priest or the minister or the celebrant or the humanist. And at the very end, now there's one final thing. I'm just going to, would you prefer something dark or light? Because you can show a family 14 different photographs of coffins or, or on, a, on a screen. And, it, well, you can look at the furniture around here. We like natural oak. Yeah. So, so don't show them a mahogany coffin. Show them a natural. That's lovely. That's middle of the road. No, my father was a carpenter. Very fussy. We want solid oak. Okay. Solid oak it will be. How much is a coffin? Coffins range in price. You can talk early, er, mid hundreds up to thousands. Really, for like, like a the solid, last supper solid oak, solid mahogany, into you're running into three, four, five thousand euro. Now they would that that would not be the norm. But some people are very. Listen, this is the last thing he's got. We really loved our dad. We there's money there, and that's another. Well, maybe we'll come back to that. But so money is not a, money. Funny enough, is not 
an issue. Doing things properly is the biggest issue of all. Doing things with dignity. So when I walk into that room, into the kitchen to sit down with the family, the family look at my shoes to see are they clean. They check my shirt and tie. If this is the way he conducts himself and he deports himself, they're going to look after my father's body. Yeah. So your deportment is so important. And I know you don't talk about money with the, you probably don't talk about money with the family. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, you do? Because what happened when when I started working years ago, 1974, uh, that's 45 years ago, we never talked about money. And we sent out a bill and we spent off times weeks and months phoning the family trying to get paid. It reached a stage in the early noughties where a grave was now costing three, four, five thousand euro. And we were we were giving families loans. Yeah. Three, four loans a day, six days a week. All of a sudden you're running into hundreds of thousands overdrawn. And our accountants and our bankers said, you're going to have to stop this. So now when sitting with the family, going through everything, now the funeral account is divided into two portions. Fannigan's portion of the account, which includes the coffin, the removal from the hospital, the embalming, the hearse and two limousines, all our professional services, and that comes to four and a half thousand euro. And on your behalf, for the new grave, the grave opening, the offering to the church, the fee to the organist, the fee to the soloist, the newspapers, the flowers, we're going to spend about five and a half thousand euro on your behalf. We're going to write checks in the coming days for five and a half thousand euro. So the combination of the two of those is ten thousand euro. So I don't want 10,000 euro now, but the checks we're writing for the next few days, in about three or four days' time, I'd like a check from you, please, for 5,500 euro, because that's what I'm paying out. We'll send you our account in a fortnight's time, which will show the total 10,000 less 5,500 paid, balance 4,500. But that's an awful lot of money. But now, that's a new grave. That's a new grave. Okay. If you're not talking about a new grave. If you're talking about an existing family plot, it costs eight, nine hundred euro to reopen that plot. Your funeral is going to cost you three, four, five thousand euro less. And is so but the grave is a big issue. The grave is the big issue. Big okay. issue. You're and, buying a bit of land. Yeah. And do can you can you cut that down? Like can you say, well, look, we oh, just yes, won't you, have oh, this. Oh, you can tell you can tell you the only the only essentials for a funeral are a coffin the hire of a hearse and a grave opening fee. They're the only must-haves. So if you got the, the cheapest coffin. A very inexpensive coffin um, and, and you had your own grave yeah. or, or bought what's called, called a gone-over grave, a grave that somebody was buried in in 1854 in Mount <laughs> Cemetery and nobody ever purchased it. Right. And you could pick that up for uh, maybe eight, nine hundred, a thousand euro. Your funeral bill becomes an awful lot less. But funnily enough, for whatever reason, I mean, I think I saw the figure recently uh, because people weren't spending any money in the recent pandemic because of the coronavirus. Irish people in the 26 counties had 98 billion euro in savings. 98 billion euro in savings amongst four and a half million people. Most people, the majority of people, have ring-fenced money for their own funeral. They have. It's just dealing with, sometimes you might not have access to that because of probate and stuff. And then You don't need immediate access. And yes. funny enough, and well, again, what a lot of people don't know, that if a person's made a will, and actually that's really important to make a will, because an executor, you don't have to wait for probate, and the, the executor of the will can go into the bank manager and say, I'm the administrator for my father's funeral account, for his funeral account. So you can ask the bank to issue a check. Okay. The admin- so you don't have to wait to go to probate months and months and months. So making a will is actually very, very practical 
particularly for the next of kin, and if I may so say so, and I'm obviously biased, in paying the funeral account. Okay. I want to talk to you for a second about UX design. So UX stands for user experience and UX design is the experience you have when you're using an app or a website. So like for me, Pinterest, I find Pinterest app very poorly designed because the focus is on images. The UX should be constructed so that viewing the images is kind of easy and intuitive but when you go on the Pinterest app the images are really small and it's really annoying so that is an example of UX design if you are interested in learning more about UX design or maybe even changing your career because UX designers are very much in demand the UX Design Institute has a course that is top class one of the great things about the course is that you don't need any coding or previous experience to do the course and it's delivered through short videos that you can take at your own pace so it's not tied to any sort of schedule that you might not be able for if you check out uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash basically and you see you put in the basically because that means that they know that i sent you and then i get kudos so uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash basically to learn more about the course to see if it's something that you want to know more about you want to undertake or you might want to i don't know change your career entirely so you come to the house and they they talk everything You've through, through everything you. You've laid out a plan. Who makes those triangle sandwiches? Like who organises who's <laughs> going to come to the house and who? Neighbours are great. Neighbours are great. But it's... They turn up. I was uh, only yesterday afternoon in somebody's kitchen and I was offered something and I said a glass of water is fine and out came a tray of sandwiches which the neighbour two doors down had dropped in that morning. Yeah. And that's what we do over here. It's, it's an amazing, it's a, it's a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing. We mind each other. So people uh, come with yeah, food. But and OK, it's a bit more formal then. OK, in these, in these COVID days, COVID-19 days and the restrictions on people's gathering in homes and even in, back in hotels and in bars, it's all changed. And that's been, that's been really difficult for the last three to four months. For the families or for you or for everyone? Oh, no, not for us. I think, I think for any family that's had a bereavement since uh, the lockdown in post St. Patrick's Day have, in my view, been the unsung heroes of what's happened in the last three to four months in Ireland. They've had to, to accept a restriction of having 10 people go into the church, 10 people go to the cemetery. My God, that is unbelievable. We are a, we are a nation of huggers. We are a nation of, of people who want to be close, of putting your arm around somebody, of putting your elbow up in a pub and ch- telling a good yarn about your father. All gone, all taken away. And we've, we've, we've praised all the frontline um, operators in the medical field, the guard, the, all the wonderful people, the cleaners in hospitals, the caterers. The unsung heroes, in my view, are the bereaved families in the last three to four months who couldn't have a funeral because they were conscious of the safety of Of all of us and were prepared to take it on the chin and not one family. And we've dealt with a lot of families in the last four months, a lot of families, not one family complained. They, to me, are the unsung heroes of what's happened. It must be really hard. And so if you... So the neighbours step in and they help out. So you, so then you, the body 
say if I uh, if the funeral is going to be if they're going to be lying in their house if they're, they're going to reposing at home and so again we'd be practical and say well can you bring them home as soon as possible yeah well today is is Wednesday and you're talking about going to the church on on fr- Friday morning can we suggest we bring dad home on Thursday that way you're going to get a night's sleep one night anyway the following night you're going to have them at home your chances are some of you are going to stay up uh, tell a few stories some of you want to pray have a few jars during that two nights, you're going to be pretty wrecked on Friday morning. So we guide the family. We'll recommend. We'll advise. We'll never instruct. Mm-hmm. We'll give a choice. But we'll mark the cards because people really, the funeral director is, if somebody asks me to describe what I did and I didn't tell them I was a funeral director, I would say by way of description, I will take you through the three or four most difficult days of your life. That's what I do. And how close by are you? Like, are you... At the other end of a phone. Okay. So and once, you have once, like one person? Oh yeah, that's that'll be the end. So with the family I dealt with yesterday afternoon, I was in touch with them last night to confirm the notice had gone into the paper and up on rip.ie. I was in touch with them this morning to confirm that I'd be collecting the clothing from the, uh, from the family home uh, and his dentures. I confirmed that I would be collecting the order of service booklets. I confirmed that the organist had been in touch with them. So just, just constantly reassuring. Yes. And then they phone me and they'll phone me tonight to say, listen Dave, we just have, what about, can we have her, can the limousine go collect her? I said, no problem. If she's ready at that time, we'll collect her first and then we'll collect you and then we'll go to the funeral home. So you're, it's, it's important um, that the one person, where possible, if I was leaving the country, though I'm not leaving the country, but in ordinary times, if one was going away on holiday, say, listen, I'm all right until Friday at noon. My colleague, John, is fully briefed on the situation. He'll be dealing with you Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Okay. So there's continuity. And if, what would happen then, say, if, um, do they go, do you go to the funeral home if you're lying in repose at your home? Or do you just go straight from your home to the church? Your ho- the funeral home, keeping in mind, is basically a replacement for waking at home. If you don't have Because they space. mightn't have the facility or there might be small children or dogs or cats or whatever. So th- you, you repose either at home or in the funeral home. And the gathering, in, one has a wake in one's home. There's no country tradition. Uh, you wake somebody at home. The funeral home, gathering in recent, literally in recent years, there used to be a removal to the church in the evening and a funeral the following day after service. That's n- the removal to the church in the evening is all but 92% gone. Families now bring the, 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 the uh, deceased person home or to the funeral home, and there's a gathering in the evening between five and seven. Now, in the last, since that mid-March, those gatherings have been um, restricted in that, no, I'm sorry, you can't have 20, 30, 40 people in a funeral chapel, not no permesso is not allowed against government uh, regulations. regulations. Okay. So just small numbers can tend so five or six. So so families stagger it. So there's twenty of them, and five of them will go at five o'clock. Another five will go at quarter past five. Another five will go at half five. So they stagger it and they steward it themselves. And people are being incredibly uh, observant. I suppose none of us want to get the COVID nineteen mm-hmm. blasted thing. So I mean, we're, we've got to mind ourselves and mind each other. And do you then, on the day of, let's say it's a mass, like have have you spoken to them about who's going to carry the coffin? Or that's pretty spontaneous, actually. That firstly, the family have met. Once we go into the inside the doors, of the church, Church of Ireland, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever, the clergyman 
woman is in charge Mm -hmm. but we advise them what's going to happen when we arrive at the church if the family are going to carry just six of you make your way to the back of the hearse we'll size you in 10 seconds you won't have the tallest at the front you'll have the tallest at the back Um, and then we'll be met by the clergyman woman we'll be met by the priest bless the coffin uh, welcome uh, Father into the church and the processional order will be the celebrant followed by the coffin followed by the family and we'll guide them Simple as that. And the same coming out. So the family are never left. Keeping in mind, most families, most people arrange a funeral for the first time. Yeah. So they like to be guided. So they don't look silly. So that's, I suppose, funeral directing, directing people what to do. That's why I think the term funeral director is more appropriate than undertaker. And what about all that, like, now say in non-COVID times, like, what about all that shaking hand stuff? Sometimes Huge. I've been to funerals where it happens at the end as well yeah. so like I think it's hugely and it's hugely missed I remember uh, my wife not wasn't a great funeral goer until her father died many years ago she's from, from the country County Leitrim and she said after the removal in the evening went to the church and people came up top of the church shook hands with um, uh, my mother-in-law uh, the five children and that night I always remember she said to me do you know I was surprised um, Mary Jo wasn't at the funeral removal yeah. I said, what? Do you, I said, oh, I remember everyone that was there. It was such a comfort. I'm surprised, but Mary Jo pitched up the following day. It's such a comfort to a family, and you might think it's a chore going up. People actually appreciate the support that their father died, who was involved or attached or great supporter of the Fine Gael party or Sinn Féin or whoever, that all these people came out or from the local GA club, from the local local pub, the golf club, the pitch and putt club, the bridge club, the support. And that's what has been missing hugely for the last four months. That's what we're really good at doing. And families really are lifted by it, by the support, the knowledge that their father was much loved by so many. And do you just let that, if that's going on and on and on, and like, do you... L- There's an order to it. Right, okay. And that's really important. So that people, all of a sudden, people in the top left and you people coming from every angle, no, hold on a second. There's an order here. Get in line and follow the line. There's a procession order. You get in... It, the, the biggest, biggest funerals and removals I've seen, the maximum amount of time it's taken for all those in attendance, and I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of people, could be half an hour, could be 45 minutes, in the bigger scheme of things where somebody's lived for 73 years, 45 minutes is not a lot. But for all the people that the family have met, it's so comforting. And the same happens at the funeral. The same happens at the cemetery. And then back to wherever it is, the pub, the hotel, the rugby club, the golf club, wherever people used to be able to congregate. It's returning slowly. The sooner the better because people miss it greatly. And what happens if, say, my... So I'm from Mallow. So say my graves in Mallow which is not but say it was and I died in Dublin that's and fine you, would you so everything so you're living for argument's sake you're living in Harold's Cross uh, you want to have a, um, a church service you want you want to have um, a church service in Dublin so we take you to whatever the local church is in your area that you want or no you always went to Clarendon Street or Stephen's Group whatever the church is churches are, are pretty open about accepting somebody you don't necessarily have to be in the parish but now instead of going to Mount Jerome Glasnevin Kilmashogue uh, uh, Kilternan Cemetery Park we're going down to the new cemetery in Mallow no problem. So you just drive in Because con- half the people who live in Dublin came from the country, maybe second generation, and there's an old family plot down in the west of Ireland somewhere. So 
I think probably once a fortnight we find ourselves doing a funeral out of Dublin to some part of rural Ireland. But you know the way you, like I've seen, uh, I live in Cabra and there's often like hearses driving past and like people driving into the church for a funeral very, very slowly. Um, If you were going down like the M7 would you like do you, do you drive at that speed no, or? people can move at at least 50-60 miles an so hour. you just say we'll meet you at the church at well, well, sorry, and they might say would you want to follow the hearse or will you meet us down at Mallow and you can stop en route for a comfort stop where it's due down there at 2.30 and if you want to stop somewhere at half one en route for a comfort stop use the loo have a cup of coffee you're under no pressure uh, it is it's easier not to travel in um, convoy. In, in convoy, correct, have a cortege. But if the family want to follow by, behind the hearse, absolutely no problem. And we arrange a comfort stop en route. Whatever the family want, ask the customer what he wants and give it to him. So whatever the family want, the answer is yes. And so then you have the graveside stuff. Yes, the, bur- the burial, the, uh, burial. the interment, where the, where the family sometimes could be offered more in the country than in, in urban areas, offered the opportunity to lower the coffin into the grave, which is a lovely thing to do. Many years ago, talking about Mallow, the family used to actually dig the grave open the grave uh, but now with health and safety and HSC and all the things that go on <laughs> and insurance no no can do they might trip up on a curbing so it's uh, it's more regulated than it should be but maybe not a bad thing there are less accidents So what happens if so is there a gravestone already if you're going on top of someone who's in your family do you go in on top of them or beside them On top normally No sorry not, that would be in urban areas where land is at a premium in rural, many parts of rural Ireland, people buy double and treble plots and they're buried side by side. side. Which reminds me of the story of the gent who died. Sorry, he died. He, 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 his first wife died and she was buried. He got a, triple, a, a double plot, got a, a good sized grave in, the, in rural Ireland and his wife, first wife was buried there. His, he remarried and his second wife died and she was buried not beside the first wife but one up from her. So now there's a space in the middle and that's for me. He called in the local funeral director. He was terminally ill and he said, Paddy, will you do something for me? Yes, says Paddy to Joe. And Joe was dying. He said, when you're lowering me in the coffin, you know Mary's on one side, I do. And you know Maggie's on the other, I do. When you're lowering the coffin down, just tilt me a bit towards Maggie. Oh, that breaks my heart. <laughs> was Maggie the first wife or the second, second. wife? Second. <laughs> okay. So, but I think she was the first love. Oh, that's so <laughs> sad. <laughs> but it, so, so to answer your question, that the cost of those graves back in the day was £50. The cost of that treble plot in Dublin would have run into £10,000. Land is more, um, it's more scarce and therefore more expensive. And interestingly, you never own a grave. You own the right to bury somebody in the grave. But if you owned a grave, you could build a skyscraper on it. It would be a skinny skyscraper, but you could build on it. So you, <laughs> like you Daniel own, O'Connell. Like that. You own, thank you, you own the right to bury somebody in the grave. You never own the grave. It's owned by the local authority, the church or whatever, who are private. And person. so do you, but so when you buy it, do they tell you you're allowed to have three bodies in here? Correct. The, the number of people that go into a grave, the number of graves, the number of coffins that a grave can accommodate is totally dependent on the depth that the first coffin is lowered. So if back in the day when Glasnevin opened, opened by Daniel O'Connell in response to Mount Jerome, which was only for non-Catholics, non-Catholics were no permiso, not permitted. In Glasnevin, they went down about eight, ten feet. 
So each grave would take three, four, five burials. Most cemeteries would go down six feet, which would accommodate three burials. Okay. So the mo- the average is three. So, but in old Glasnevin, old Glasnevin, they went down eight, ten feet and could accommodate a large family. And do you get a gravestone after the fact, or the headstone is normally erected? Yes, after more re- in cemeteries that have been opened in the last ten, twenty, thirty years already have a a foundation laid. It's part of the the planning so that a headstone could be put up the following day. Yeah, some people like those gra- in the graveyard that I go to. There's some of them have just a big marble thing with no name, no like the headstone is there, but there's ready, no name ready to be inscribed. Oh right, okay. Yeah, so that and that is the way. In some time, some people are very organised and they've got their their grave bought. They've made their funeral. They've paid for their funeral in advance. What about inflation? That is a big issue. What we indicate to people who are, want to pay for the funeral in advance is place your money in, whatever you post office, building society, uh, bank, call it your heavenly account. And every year check with us and we'll tell you how much to add to it. And in recent years, inflation hasn't been huge, so it wouldn't be a problem. So if, if they have seven, if they've chosen their funeral, they know what they want. They want the solid oak coffin, they want the hearse and two limousines, they want X, Y, Z. It's going to cost six and a half thousand euro. And in January 2021, they phone us, what are we talking about, Mr. Fannigan? You want to add another 350 to that and you're well covered. And so if, at what point does your, like, do you, are you like, right, see you now, that's my service to you, done. It doesn't finish that quickly in that, um, uh, fine, I, I leave the church this morning. I've met a family. Um, they've gone to the cemetery. I have gone to another church, so I don't go to the cemetery. Somebody I knew personally, I would go. Um, the, uh, do you drive the, the hearse? Do I, dr- I haven't no. driven? I haven't driven a hearse for a while, but right, obviously okay. when I started, um, you really have to know what you're talking about. Uh, I think the last time I drove a hearse was probably about five years ago. Because some funeral directors would be kind of like a one-man band. Oh, you're like fine. Well, we, we employ a staff of 80 people. Oh, wow. Uh, so, um, you know, well, well, we'd be the biggest, oldest in the country and biggest in the country, but that doesn't mean, that just means, that is what it is. So people do, like we have three embalmers. Some funeral directors have no embalmers, but there are independent freelance embalmers who embalm around months and Bam in Connacht and that's very important for, for bereaved families. The um, uh, So I've said goodbye to the family. The next time they'll hear from us in about 10 days' time when they receive our account. Okay. Which shows total amount, less amount paid to cover the disbursements, the monies we've paid out and they'll come into us or they'll say, listen, I'll send you a cheque or can you give me your IBAN and your BIC? We'll transfer the money directly which is a big way of paying now. People don't have to Go, go off looking for a checkbook or anything like that and the account is settled. Then they contact us in a month's time or a year's time and they want to, or three months' time, they want to put an acknowledgement notice in the paper to thank those who attended, those who said the mass, those who sent flowers, those who da da da, those who did the guard of honour at the cemetery and we place an acknowledgement notice in the paper for them. Then a year later, they want to put an in memoriam notice in the paper just to say, first anniversary of John, much, lo- much missed and loved by all his family. And that's normally it. And then the, I'd say the next time we'd be contacted by their family, if it's a question of, uh, if it's a married situation and one of the spouses started person has died and they'll say listen uh, I, I just want to get my own affairs in order um, I want the same as my husband uh, you have all his details there give me an idea of what I should be putting aside to answer your earlier question, question. yeah but that's that's our contact but you've 
importantly, somebody asked me the other day, you talk about, uh, who was I talking about? I was talking to somebody they're in the a particular business. And he said, our order book is good until next October. And I said, well, today is Monday and we've nothing on next Friday. We don't have a funeral next Friday. By Wednesday evening, we'll have eight. Right, okay. So we, we don't do summer specials. We don't do uh, <laughs> promotions. Uh, we wait for the phone to ring. The point I'm making is you asked when will that family contact us again or when do you finish contacting? We hope by the time that we have dealt with that family in a very caring, uh, compassionate, empathetic, uh, dignified way that there's no way in the future they're ever going to go anywhere else again. And when something happens, well, it's Flanagan's always looked after us. And is it a competitive business? Highly competitive, believe it or not. It, because I suppose in, um, in times of bust and boom, there are two sure things, death and taxes. Yeah. So we'll always be guaranteed business. That doesn't mean that we'll always get the business because you're only as good as your next phone call and you'll only get that next phone call if you've looked after things properly in the past. So it's really important to look after people properly. I think they did a survey, Ford and Honda did a survey many years ago and when mum or dad drove a Ford or a Honda or a a, a Toyota, that's normally what the kids chose in the first place. Similarly, if mum and dad or the family always went, always voted Fine Gael, always voted Sinn Féin, always went to Fannigan's or Kerwin's, that's who we go to. Yes. So there's a tradition. The competition piece comes in where location becomes important because when I started working in 74, 1974, 45 years ago, there were 14 funeral directors in Dublin and there were 14 offices in Dublin. There are now 63. Oh, wow. And they're out in Dublin 18, Dublin 11, Dublin 24, as people, where people live, people die. So if people lived between the two canals, that's where funeral directors were located. When people started moving out to suburbia, to Crumlin and to Talla and to uh, Cabinteely and to Finglas and to Ashburn, funeral directors opened up. But that's by way of like convenience. It's not that you wouldn't do a funeral in Cabinteely. Oh, I forgot to say, we do a funeral in Mallow, except they wouldn't let us. The people in Mallow would want their own funeral director to look after things, or Clonturk, or wherever. People in Dublin, yes, loyalty and tradition, big. But convenience and traffic, I'm sorry. If we, we, we live in Black Rock, we live in, in, uh, in Talla, and we, we used to always go to such and such, but we're, we're not driving into town now. So now uh, there are three different funeral directing companies in Talla. We were the first ones to open in the mid-1990s. There are now three funeral companies in Talla, different companies. So convenience is a big thing. And is it the case of, because one of my least favourite things to do every year is go around and check, you know, ESB and electricity and board gosh and see who's the cheapest. But they all provide the same service. They give me gas and electricity. Is there a difference between the service provided? Yes. And is it like a touch of class and, and yes, dignity? Yes, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think um, some funeral directors would be perceived to be more, use the word class. Uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, those who've been in the business for, in our case, as long as we have, know it, thankfully we're doing something right, we're doing a lot right, um, and people, I think the word I'm looking for is trust. Yes. So if you decide, or your partner or somebody you know, I'm going to be, become a funeral director, no qualification required, none. You said put your name over door, Siobhan Murphy, 
funeral director. Now, do I trust Siobhan Murphy? I don't know who she is, what she does, but she's right beside me. No, I trust Fannigan's. We went to them five years ago. They know what they're doing. I know they're two miles down the road, but I don't know this person, Siobhan. I'm not going to her. I'm sorry. It's not a time in your life that you want any sort of doubt or uncertainty. Trust, I think, is the biggest factor, the biggest criteria where people trust you to to look after the care of their mother's body. And to do what you say say you're going to do, to deliver on your promise. Don't promise something you can't deliver on. Trust is a huge word. Trust. Yeah. And I think professionalism, care, uh, these people seem to look at their premises, look at their fleet. Uh, they know what they're doing. They have a track record. We trust them totally. And does, do, is it, if there's like a personal funeral or like, it, how difficult is it? For, is it an emotionally, is there an emotional toll in the job that you do? Or at some point does it just become business? Is it hard to be around sad people at the worst time of their life every single day? I think if you let it get into you, you couldn't do what you do. If I pitch up, arrive at a family home where the son has committed suicide, which to me is the, as a parent, is the most horrific funeral uh, that um, I've had to deal with and I've dealt with many, many suicides. For me to break down, and I've known, the de- I knew the deceased, for me to break down and not be able to perform, and I use the word perform, yeah, act, um, actually uh, garner myself not to break down. I need to guide, I did say earlier, I'm going to take you through the three most difficult days of your life. This is horrific what you're going through. Horrific. But I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to take you through this. And you're depending on me. It's for me to get emotional and break down. I can't. I just cannot allow myself. For me to get upset, yes. Of course. Um, uh, We don't hear about them anymore. But in the 80s, uh, we were dealing with cot deaths. That was a big issue. Cot deaths. An unexplained death of a five perfectly healthy five-year-old boy or girl in a cot is found dead by one of its parents or siblings. Um, to me, it's, 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 it's unimaginable. Suicide to me, unimaginable how parents cope with suicide. So they want me to take them through that. And I have got to act, pretend I'm not made of stone. My God, I have feelings. I'm actually a very soft and sensitive person. But I can't melt in front of them. I, I can't melt when I leave them. But not to be affected? Of course I'm affected. But I think to counter that, having left the cemetery after three days when that father found his son hanging in the garage and him to turn to me and said, David, thank you so much. We couldn't have got through this without you. That's what makes me get up in the morning and do it again. Just to finish, is there anything that you would... um advise or recommend to the people listening to this from your experience make a will make make a will definitely let definitely to grandparents or to elderly parents single parents or married let your children adult children know what you want to happen you first burial or cremation and anything else in between but certainly either of those once your children know, adult children, know that that's what you want. That's hugely important to stave off 
a potential family row, which you don't want. I think that's that's it in a nutshell. Um, and it's not a difficult conversation to have. It's it's a Sunday dinner conversation. It's 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 one in the pub or some family occasion. Or coming having come back from a funeral, said that was really lovely. Loved that church service. Liked that what happened at the crematorium. That's what I want to happen to me. And then uh, I'll have a pint of Guinness. Um, and just get on with it. I think it makes it, it would make it an awful lot easier for adult children to know what their parents wanted. It's a comfort. Huge comfort. So, basically, if it comes to it, you pick up the phone, you ring a funeral director, and R- if they're a good enough funeral director, you don't have to really worry about much more. Ring, um, what was it? Um, one of the, the um, auctioneers, slogan, a number of years ago, is the, the, the agent you'd recommend to a friend. And I would say the same thing. The funeral director that you choose, make sure that that funeral director has done work for the family before or that somebody you know has used them and they've said, they're top of the bus. You can trust them. David Fanagan, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the show. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly found it fascinating and David is such a great storyteller. If you did enjoy it, please let me know on Instagram at Stephanie Preisner or on Twitter at Steph Preisner. That's Steph with an F. And I would really appreciate it if you'd tell just one other person about the show or share it on your stories to spread the word. Thank you so much. Bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.